Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. I'm very excited today to welcome my guest to Recruiting Trailblazers. Kelly Shutrop is the VP of Sales at Parker Digital Marketing Agency, where she helps staffing industry clients optimize and scale their organizations by implementing world-class marketing, technology, and automation strategies. So welcome to the podcast, Kelly Shutrop. How are you, Kelly? Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate you having me today. I'm doing well. I'm sitting in Minneapolis and it is very cold. <laughs> yes, I hear it's very cold. I'm in California and it's actually quite chilly here as well. <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's get straight into this. I, I'd like to sort of define the problem, um, the sort of the current state, I think, of many recruitment agencies and staffing firms. And then we're going to talk about the journey to sort of like the modern era of, you know, automation and digital marketing, etc., which is what you're an expert in. So, is it fair to say that a lot of agencies, both large and small, are still doing the job for the most part the way it's always been done? And by that, I mean one-to-one outreach to clients, find some new job orders, post some ads, search the job boards and the ATS, and then start reaching out to candidates again, often on a one-to-one basis. Do you think that's fair? You know, I think it depends on if we're looking at executive search versus staffing. I think on the search side, that's still predominantly the approach. I think on the staffing side, it is hit much more of a volume uh, method. But holistically, when I think about kind of that bell curve of early adoption to everybody in the middle adopting all sorts of cool technology and then the late adopters, we're starting to really move into that big bulk where more and more people are looking at ways to create efficiencies for their recruiters, efficiencies within their database, how to get messages more than just one-to-one. So we're getting there as an industry where it's more commonly adopted. Right. I've spoken to quite a few leaders at, you know, big companies and it sounds like, you know, they're beginning to embrace these strategies and these tools, but we've got a long way to go. And we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. during this conversation. So where does the conversation begin with you and Parker How do you sort of frame your value proposition to new clients? Sure. No, great question, Marcus. And just just for everybody's reference listening, my background is about 15 years of marketing, branding, PR, communications, digital. So this is a space that I really love and I really nerd out about. The last 11 years or so, I've focused specifically on the staffing industry. And so Parka was actually created within uh, a search and staffing firm ourselves. So that's our, that's our background. That's how we know about this space. Uh, and really the place that we play and support the industry uh, is, is kind of three steps. It, called the proven process. The first step is, all right, what is your business strategy? What is it you're trying to accomplish? Are you looking to gain more candidates, create better efficiencies for your recruiters, uh, set up well for an exit, right? There's all kinds of solutions you may be trying to accomplish. And then we look at that that uh, marketing strategy and the measurement strategy. So it's not about diving right into what do you post day to day on LinkedIn. It starts with what are you trying to accomplish? Are you speaking to the right audience? Evaluating your ideal customer profile, your buyer personas, you know the steps that your candidates take in their journey with you, and then the middle step is really that uh, that implementation, right? So stepping into building your brand, driving leads, creating better efficiencies. And then that final step is measurement and optimization. So so when you start at the top and move into implementation and then recircle it back, it tends to create a better result that ultimately drives up to that, that solution. So it's not just using digital marketing. It's also using technology strategies to help accomplish the goals. Right. Almost like a traditional consulting firm. You're not just talking about the tools, the digital marketing tools and the content development, the kind of tactical stuff. You're taking a wider view of like the opportunity and building like cross-functional strategic plans. I mean, it almost sounds like business process re-engineering and then implementation. Right. Yes. Yes. It is. It is moving from the strategy all the way through the implementation, because when you jump straight to implementation, uh, you've got a lot of good activities in the market, but they may not ultimately ladder up to what it is you're trying to accomplish. So we, we tackle both of those in partnership with our clients who oftentimes have really great marketing teams and are just looking for kind of that next that next step of what else should we be doing in this space? Yeah, it's funny because I've never thought of recruiting organizations and staffing firms as marketing organizations per se. I've mm-hmm. always thought of them more as sales organizations right. and much more tactical 
much more ROI driven. To what extent does this transformation require, you know, a change in mindset in the way recruiters approach the business? I mean, staffing and recruitment agencies have always had that sort of transactional mindset, um, a sort of stay close to the money approach. How hard or, or easy is it to change the minds of hardcore metrics-driven staffing execs to embrace this kind of this journey? Yeah, you know, I, I think what changes people's minds the fastest is that what's worked in the past isn't working as well anymore, <laughs> right? And so so when I think about a, a typical uh, staffing agency, I think about some silos that have always existed. You have marketing and the purpose of marketing historically has been build the brand, you know, help us feel credible, those kinds of pieces. And then you've got IT. So you've got, okay, we have an ATS. We have these different technologies. They need to run efficiently. You need to have clean data. We need to make sure that the information is stored in a great way. And then you've got your operations or your your delivery, your recruiting side, right? And that's that's like in theory, the closest to the dollar. Who are we placing? When are we getting paid by the client? How does that process work? And in this new digital transformation era, there can't be silos. You still have experts in each of those places, but there needs to be oversight that says, okay, in order to create those better efficiencies, is our marketing tying into the tech, tying into the recruiters to to make it more efficient overall? So, uh, Ultimately, to answer your question, uh, it's something that people are still working toward and realizing. Uh, and the pain point typically comes up because you buy sense or hear fish or fill in the blank with a great piece of tech and you don't think it works very well. And it's not because it's not set up to work well. It's because you may not have approached it strategically with the right messaging. So it's not being as efficient as it can. So it's, it's forcing the hand of people to realize that these, these three places, you know, marketing, uh, IT and operations need to work seamlessly together. And it's not just buying the tools, is it? I mean, it's building a strategy around the tools and then potentially hiring people that, again, aren't really working very close to the money to sort of implement mm-hmm. those tools and the strategy around those tools to make them work. Yeah. You know, if, if you think about Disney World, right? You've got this story. You've got you've got a, a space where you go, and if you strip away the experience, and you look at just the infrastructure, you have rides, you have restaurants, uh, you know, you have a place to physically go and stay, and that's it. But once you start layering on the experience that people have, there's a draw, and there's a reason why people get excited to go, even as adults, right? And so, as a staffing firm, if you can create that same experience. You know, every candidate, every client, every recruiter you could possibly work with interacts with an ATS, right? Like, like that's that's a that's a tool that's utilized throughout this process. It's not having the technology that makes you stand out anymore. Is my point? It's having a cohesive experience that uh, gives everybody really a high touch approach while creating better efficiencies for your staffing firm. I mean, yeah, there's a lot we could dive yeah. into here. Now, that's interesting that you said cohesive because. You know, one of the questions I was going to ask you was how important is it to have, you know, a cohesive automation strategy and complementary tech stack? Because I imagine for the most part, you know, companies have iterated over a long period of time and sort of just bolted on new tools and best practices, you know, as and when they became available. How important is it for them to sort of revisit this whole tech stack and and tool set? Yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial. Uh, I mean, just like with anything, you can end up with much more expended budget than you need to. Uh, there's a lot of overlap in different technologies. And so I would say a best practice would be anytime the the C-suite individual that attends a conference hears about a new tech and brings it in all excited, it's very important to evaluate and say, do we have parts of this covered already with our tech stack? Are we utilizing them well? Where are the gaps? Uh, and ultimately, and this is not new information to anyone, but it's important to lead with a sale or excuse me, to lead with a strategy first mindset. If this tech is cool and I'm seeing it everywhere and I've got a little bit of FOMO because everybody's talking about it and I feel like I need it, take that step back and say, where does this fit? Does it actually solve a challenge we're experiencing? Because if it does, then it makes a lot of sense to implement it. But if it doesn't, then it's just another shiny toy on the on the shelf that's not going to get played with. Yeah. And I imagine the larger the staffing firm that you're talking to, the harder it is for them to sort of turn the ship around and much more expensive. How do you frame, when you're first talking to staffing firms, how do you frame what the most desirable outcomes are that you're looking to drive through this sort of transformation? 
you know, it's funny because usually the outcomes come from what they are looking to accomplish. So, so I typically am not the one that, that steps into the call and says, Hey, this is what I know you're trying to do. They, as a, as a staffing firm, uh, typically they know, okay, we are in healthcare staffing and we're not as well known as some of our competitors, but we're doing a really good job. We're rapidly growing. We've got great recruiters, but we need more candidates and we need to get to them. So that starts to frame up, okay, what do you have in place today? How are you attracting those candidates? Uh, what kinds of efficiencies are your recruiters using? What kinds of tools are you using? And so for me, when I hear things like, well, we use Bullhorn and we use Sense, for example, then I start asking questions around what kind of automations or workflows or journeys or whatever you'd, you'd prefer to call it, right? What kind of journeys do you have set up? Well, we have the uh, the onboarding journey and it seems to work well. Okay. Well, you may have a whole pool of talent sitting in your ATS that's not being tapped into. So in addition to creating strategies around finding net new talent, let's also create strategies to dive into your database and start nurturing those conversations, which historically, to go back to your original uh, thought, historically has happened one-on-one. You know, you've got a recruiter that jumps into the database, does a search. If they find somebody, great. If if they, you know, don't happen to find the right person because they didn't populate through the search they did, then they're just missed. So there's ways to automate that process and create more efficiency there. And when you're having these sort of initial conversations and sort of introducing this potential digital transformation, what's the most common objections that you're getting from sort of medium and large size staffing firms? You know, I would break that down between whether I'm having a conversation with someone in the C-suite or a technology leader or more of a marketing leader. Um, but across the board, the the objection, so to speak, is we've already got tech in place. What else do we need? You know, or we're already doing marketing. What else do we need? Like we, we've already checked the boxes. Can you help us understand what else we should be doing that might not be working? And then it's, you know, a matter of digging into, you know, on a very tactical level. So you say you do paid ads you know, in, in any in any instance, whether it's automation or paid ads or, you know, you name it, there there's five to 10 pieces that create success in that. And if you've only checked off three of those pieces and you say, well, we've got it there, you know, you, you might not be experiencing the best uh, output. And so I don't know that there's any one objection. It's just more, can this work? What else are people doing? How do we get uh, better impact for our investment? And so from your perspective, and you're the VP of sales, it's really about starting conversations that then allow you to sort of almost audit your clients' current capabilities and goals so that you can really begin to have that sort of high-level conversation about what's available and what's out there and what can, you know, create the efficiencies that you're talking about. Right, right. Yeah, it starts with that that really, ultimately, that business discovery. What are you trying to accomplish? Right now, you're telling me that you need to implement automation better, but, but why, right? Because that may not be the actual lever that needs to be pulled to solve the problem that you have. Uh, and, and then it's starting to unpack the, the layers. And at the end of the day, just like with any consultative, consultative approach, we may not be the right solution, but there may be someone that I know in the industry that can really support what it is they're trying to do or a combination of resources. So. Okay. Well, let's break down some of the key components or pillars of, you know, this digital transformation. And before we start talking about candidate engagement, let's start off by talking about brand credibility and visibility. You know, how do you recommend your clients approach this, you know, major challenge? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Uh, for years, uh, branding on the staffing side has has come to be viewed as a commodity by candidates and by clients. Because, you know, if I'm a, a, a nurse that's looking for my next 13-week contract in, in some cool destination, or if I am a warehouse worker, or if I am a high-level developer, I don't necessarily care what recruiting firm or staffing firm I'm working with. I just want that next opportunity. Um, but through automation and through branding, you can start to create more of an authentic relationship and experience with your candidates that help you to stand out. So when we think about brand credibility, uh, it is very common that staffing firms say, well, I need to look different than everybody else. But when you really dive into it, tangibly, you are offering the same 
value. You may have a better team. You may be able to reach better candidates, but how do you portray that difference? Uh, And what I have found is really evaluating who your audience is and speaking to them. So let's just give an example. Let's say, you know, you are placing uh, IT consultants and all of your messaging on LinkedIn and your blogs and your webinars, you know, in your automation content is very generic. All you do is you're asking for the MPS score or you're writing generic blogs and you're just kind of staying alive. You've got the lights on and then you've got a staffing firm who's physically gone through the process of, okay, I'm going to look at this persona, this type of candidate or consultant that we often place that is, you know, that we're working with day in, day out. They're going through a buyer's journey. So they have the awareness stage, consideration, decision, experience, and advocacy. Now, at each of those stages, as they consider a role, move into a placement, stay on contract, et cetera, they're thinking, feeling, and doing certain things. So the staffing firms that are taking the time to map out that buyer's journey naturally can create better content that speaks to that candidate. And those are the little things that are strategic that help you start to stand out as a as a staffing firm because you are applying a better message or meeting them where they're at. And then of course, you need to have a beautiful website. You need to be active on social, right? Like there, there are pieces that are expected, um, but everybody can look nice online. But if you sound like a generic robot, you're not, you're not actually going to stand out. That's interesting that you say that. It's the same as awareness, interest, desire, and action. Mm-hmm. If, um, if you've ever seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. So you have to speak to those different parts of the journey and you do that with multiple different tactics. Yeah. Like content marketing and email marketing. Where do all these pieces, SEO, where do all these pieces sort of fit in? Yeah. You, you know, once, once you've gone through your business strategy and you know who your audience is, it develops or, you know, it comes to a head with truly a prioritized strategic marketing roadmap. And within that you have what is my channel strategy? So where do I meet these people? And what is my content strategy? So what message am I providing at every step along the way? So tangibly, this may be something where your internal marketing team is already doing a really good job on a lot of these uh, marketing channels. Like they're already posting to social. They're already fill in the blank, right? Running programmatic ads or uh creating great workflows, they just now have a better approach to the types of content that they're providing. So, I mean, it, it, it really filters through everything um, on the branding side, on the lead generation side, but also on the messaging that you're providing to your recruiters. You know, as they're physically sending that in mail, if they're reaching out to a high level IT consultant potential, you want to make sure that that messaging aligns. And what does this content look like? Because I mean, you've already mentioned, this isn't just about posting more on LinkedIn. This is also implementing traditional marketing methods as well as automated marketing methods. What does this content look like? Is it stuff that you post on your website? Is it stuff that you send via email? Is it newsletters? Is it podcasts? I mean, there's, you do fireside chats. I mean, break that down for me a little bit more. Yes. So there is a difference depending on who your audience is. So if you think about maybe you have three people you're looking to get in front of. We'll use that IT staffing example again. Let's say that you are looking to place somebody in a senior leadership, uh, or actually let's let's look at like a C-suite individual. You're looking to place like a C-suite individual, uh, like that CIO or CTO, right? Something like that. Or you're looking to place somebody who is more of a division leader or more of an individual contributor. There are different things that matter to those people. Maybe that C-suite leader needs to see that you're credible. And maybe the best way to show that is through other interviews that you've done with consultants you've placed. And that may come to life through uh, an email that goes to them and on your LinkedIn. Whereas an individual contributor may not really care that you have worked with these epic companies. They just want to know, will this help progress my skill? So it all comes down to what matters to them and where they live. Because if your audience generally speaking, doesn't pay attention to podcasts or is more on Facebook versus LinkedIn, it's going to make a difference. So I hate to say it depends, but it really does. And I think that's the pitfall of a lot of uh, companies in our industry going back 10 years to now is it's been just kind of this peanut butter, everything approach, <laughs> you know, like right. check content the is content. Yeah. 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 That gets complicated because you're talking about segmentation within your mm-hmm. ATS, which is something that 
I don't think recruiters are particularly good at when it comes to sort of the inputting of data into their ATS. You know, I feel like a lot of us just do the minimum. And so therefore it's difficult to recapture that data and segment your audience accordingly to the point that you were just making about identifying how to speak to different types of people. You'd speak to a CTO very differently than you would speak to someone who was, you know, you're placing in a warehouse as a day worker, right? Exactly. And that's why your marketing and your technology strategies need to align. You know, and if if you think about, uh, I'm a very visual person. So if you think about a triangle, right? Uh, At the top of that triangle, you've got a staffing firm who has a business challenge. They've got objectives they're trying to meet. They're trying to place more candidates. They need to hire more recruiters. They want to grow, you know, fill in the blank. Um, On the bottom left side of that triangle, historically in our industry, you've had digital marketing agencies that step in and do marketing. They build sites. They do social. They do content. Uh, And Parker does those things as well, right? Those are still all really relevant, important things. But then on the right side, you've got technology companies. So people who consult you on your tech stack, people who help, and companies who are systems integrators. Uh, But where we find the most impact for our clients is by meeting right in the middle across that bottom line of the triangle of, okay, regardless of if it is a marketing solution or a technology solution, we need to get straight up through the middle and meet the customer solution, right? The staffing firm. And so um, it's not always about, do you have the best message? Because if your data is not clean, how are you going to get automations and, and workflows out to people when it matters unless that's clean? So so it's not a one-stop shop. It's, it's a matter of having a tech stack that is uh, smart and then having a marketing strategy that aligns. And so you operate at the intersection of marketing and technology. Yep. Advising on those pieces. And we don't have our own technology. So it's not that you're, we say buy the parka tech and everything will work out fine. It's okay. There are some really, really great technologies that are applicable to the staffing industry. And as you invest in them, are you creating a Disney or are you just creating a big chunk of land that has roller coasters on it? Because I can tell you, everybody wants to go to Disney instead of the big chunk of land with roller coasters. Right. What are you most surprised about when you first start unwrapping what uh, an organization is doing from a brand building perspective? What surprises you the most at stuff that, you know, staffing agencies and and search firms, et cetera, are not doing and they should be doing? And what are the basics here that people are missing out on? Mm -hmm. I I would say it goes back to knowing your, your actual target audiences, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have a conversation with anyone in a staffing firm who would say, I have no idea who my clients are, or who my candidates are. Everybody knows that. They know who they're trying to get in front of. But as far as really diving into the motivations and the thoughts and the feelings and the desires of those people and having their branding and their credibility speak to that, that translation doesn't always happen because it takes it takes heavy lifting typically on the side of a marketing team and usually marketing teams. Uh, and I'm saying this from experience and a lot of in- endearment because this is where half my career was spent. You are so tapped, you know, like there's so many uh, fire drills that come your way and you're just c- trying to keep everything moving out the door that it's sometimes hard to take that step back and say, okay, yes, we planned out the the annual um, content strategy, but did we do it through the lens of the actual personas and how it is different. So I would say that's what uh, surprises me the most. Um, but at the same time, it, it makes sense. There's just not, there's just not bandwidth. And so um, it, there needs to be a strategic initiative focused around it in order to get the best outcomes. Yeah. But it must be hard to get agencies to see, you know, the ROI on this because we are, you know, traditionally an industry that that has a, such a definitive ROI in, in placements and contract margins, et cetera. And anything that takes us away from that has always been viewed as somewhat of a distraction. Mm-hmm. And that's where it actually becomes really exciting to involve technology. You know, if you talk about what is the ROI of an independent blog, yeah, it is a lot harder to evaluate than the ROI of an ad. Like there are certain pieces of marketing and technology that are easier to track. Uh, and everyone has, mo- I should say, most of the time people have multiple touch points before they make a decision about your company, right? Y- including candidates. And so, um, it's important to just think through the lens of what am I trying to accomplish and what can, what can I measure along the way? You know, we, we define measurement strategies and KPIs or key performance indicators that say, okay, there are different ways to track this. For example, 
you implement a marketing automation tool, you have a uh, a journey or a workflow that says, all right, my my contractor is out on contract every 30 days. I'm going to provide them an email. It's all automated uh, with an MPS score request, you know, on a scale of this to this. How, how satisfied are you? How is it going? And then let's say at day 120, we will then send them a, hey, do you want to refer a friend to this type of a role? Well, it's really important to evaluate, all right, if we actually apply messaging in those that, that is relevant to that particular candidate and reacts in smart time to the response they give, it will create a better outcome. So for example, if in email two, they select 10 out of 10, this is the best job I've ever had, why wait another how many months to then ask them to refer someone? Like that is the time to engage in that conversation. So it's a matter of knowing when to when to break the automation, right? Like when, when to create separate workflows that are advising. I mean, I imagine that's where AI comes into it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, ultimately it's, sometimes it's very simple and sometimes it's more complicated. <laughs> like if, yeah. Different, like, yes, no, this, if, then that. if true, yeah. if false, yeah. Stuff like that. But I mean, talking about branding and just getting back to the sort of the LinkedIn thing for a second, because that's how I think about branding. Um, do you think leaders recognize the importance of recruiters building their very own brand within the brand? And do you think they're actually making enough space to allow recruiters to engage in that kind of, you know, personal branding initiative? Right. You know, historically, uh, recruiters are pushed to exceed metrics and there's, there's only so much time in the day, right? So if I'm going to get my dials in, if I'm going to get my emails in, all, all of the, all the metrics driven pieces that uh, the large staffing firms going back years and years have always established, it's really tough. I've found that the people that are investing in their own personal brand are doing it in their own right or their own capacity. You know, they are creating time, they're carving it out. And I, there's a few recruiters out there who typically have their own brand. So they're, they're kind of like, I am the owner of my company, therefore I will build my brand. It's actually far less common if there is a massive or even small to mid-sized staffing firm that you have an individual recruiter that's sharing information. But I can say that the ones that I've seen do that develop their networks better. They're trusted more in the space. You know, if a recruiting individual reaches out to a high profile candidate who's very passive and they've been seeing them on LinkedIn pop into their feed with value added information uh, versus they've never heard of this recruiter, that that adds to that as well. You know, and of course it all comes back to if you're talking about placing someone in a manufacturing plant or placing somebody in a high level role, like sometimes your candidates are not on LinkedIn. It, it just depends. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's wildly valuable to have a personal brand on LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, there's a strong argument on LinkedIn from some of the people I know and some of the people who've come on this podcast that all of their candidates are inbound now because they've made such an impact with their sort of regular and interesting postings and memes, et cetera, on, on LinkedIn. And I almost feel like there should be a metric or leaders in the recruiting industry should make space for people to think about those in the same ways that we've been talking about you talking to bigger staffing agencies about allocating spend to marketing and digital automation. So yeah, no, I agree. And that, and that just ladders up to the ultimate brand and the ultimate objectives, right? Like if you have an army of recruiters who are also talking about what you do, and, and there are tools that are making this easier, right? Like Pager, for example, is making it easy where a company can post something and then the individual recruiters, like that entire team can automatically like or or post it as themselves. You know, there there's some cool automations and efficiencies that are being created with social. And I would say it, it's helpful for me when I think about the visual of a room, right? Like let's put ourselves pre-pandemic, uh, you're standing in a room, you're at a happy hour, and let's say there's 50, 70 people in this room. And let's say there's only a couple candidates and everybody else is a recruiter. And the candidates are just kind of walking around deciding who they might want to meet. If your recruiter is sitting in the corner by themselves with their wine, not even attempting to talk to that candidate until they have a need and then they beeline 
the candidate's going to be like, whoa, hi. Oh, yes. Okay. Nice to meet you. Right. Like it's going to feel a little bit jarring compared to the other recruiters in the room who may be getting up to speak on a panel or sharing some cool anecdotal information. Like it's, it's, it's still about building that relationship. And in this virtual world and in staffing firms that cross multiple states and multiple countries, LinkedIn is your platform to be able to help people know who you are without having to wait to get on a Zoom call with someone to introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is the, this is the toughest bridge for everybody to cross is how do I go from a transactional recruiter to sort of a more of a marketing style recruiter? Because sure. I'm driven by metrics. I'm driven by making placements. You know, I'm driven by the concept that I reach out to candidates when I think they might suit a position that I'm looking to fill. Right. How much time in the day do I actually have to, to pipeline and to, to market to people that I may need sometime in the future? It's a very difficult bridge for recruiters to cross, especially for larger agencies when they're so metrics driven. So let's park that for a second. Um, there's other recruiting process and digital marketing automations that seem to be taking hold of our industry now. And I, I'm starting to hear about them regularly. Candidate engagement and re-engagement seems like a hot topic right now. And you actually recently spoke about this, which is why we're having this podcast, because I listened to your speech at the World Staffing Summit, where you were talking about elevating the candidate experience using marketing automation. What does that journey look like? And why is it important? No, absolutely. And it's, and it's something where there, there are so many components to developing uh, a great journey for your candidates. And, uh, you know, at risk of sounding like a broken record, but I will because it's so important. You need to start with what are your business objectives? Like what what is it you're trying to accomplish? And then moving into who are my candidates? Yes, you know it at a 10,000 foot view. Yes, you know it well enough to recruit them. Like you know your space, but do you know what matters to them at every stage of their journey? And then it's a matter of evaluating what's in your database? What kind of a tech stack do you have to support these types of conversations, to support your recruiters as they're out recruiting these individuals? Uh, and then, you know, continually optimizing and improving and measuring what's working. So there are a number of steps to creating a good candidate experience. We could dive pretty deep into each of them, but that's at a high level. Yeah. I mean, can we go not too deep, but just a few of the basic steps and maybe one or two of the tools as well that we could use to complement those steps. Sure, sure. Yeah, definitely. So um, when I think about going through uh, business goals, you know, that's typically not the challenge that people have. They know, they know what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but let's dive into that for a second. It is important to think about your objectives first and your technology second. It's very easy to say, well, we've got fill in the blank. Here's my tech stack. What can we do with it? Um, but I would say, you know, Take that moment, take that 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 day workshop to get your key leaders in a room and say, what are the challenges that we are facing today and what are we trying to accomplish? And then when we talk about the ideal candidate profile, right, those are some of the things we've already talked about throughout this session of what are their motivations, what are their decision stages, how does your content strategy need to apply, and do you have data points in your ATS that will help you speak to them? So for example, if you say, all right, we know that if individuals have this many years of experience or this type of a title, and this is the next role they're going for, these are the topics they're interested in. If your ATS doesn't have data points or updated data points that tell you who to get in front of with those messages, it doesn't matter. So then it's a matter of like, all right, how do I clean up my data? How do I interact with my, my, my actually database in, a, in the sense of helping them help me update it. You know, for example, if you send a message out to a group of candidates and say, I'm looking to serve you as best as, as, as we can. You know, if you have had some major milestone updates in your career over the last five years, like, please fill out this form and help us understand so that we can serve you up with information that's happening in your space that others like you are really intrigued by, you know, because then you don't end up as a candidate getting a, an email from a staffing firm that says, are you interested in these roles? And they're literally roles that you would have done five to seven years ago, right? So taking that step. Um, then when we think about the next step, it's really moving into a journey workflow. And it sounds like a technical nerdy term. And all it really means is it's a visual representation of your user's journey. So it's a matter of saying, all right, let's sit down as a recruiting team, as a sales team, and let's define 
how do our candidates move through the process? Like how, how long do they stay in that application phase and what happens before they're in conversation with a recruiter and how long does it take? Um, and then again, that kind of just ties back to what are their motivations at each of those stages? Um, but isn't it, um, sorry to interrupt for a second, but some of this stuff, doesn't it, the market that we're currently in, <clears throat> doesn't that make some of this quite difficult? Because if you're asking candidates to sort of just update their resume and share some of their major milestones, et cetera, and there's no sort of potential role attached to that message, you know, everybody's inboxes are overflowing at the moment. Mm -hmm. Is that a strategy that's actually working in this market? You know, it depends on what type of role you're talking about. If you're talking about someone who is just looking for their next role, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, that that may not be the right strategy for them. If it's someone who is a more senior level executive and you have already developed credibility with them because you've placed them in the past or they've been a consultant in the past, then you have that opportunity to say, ultimately, like, help me help you, you know, like I'm a resource for you and that can all be automated. So it, it, again, it really depends. And yes, you're right. It's, it's a market that's moving like crazy. Candidates can go everywhere they want. Um, and there are a variety of other strategies that apply to, to data cleanliness. Even, you know, how many staffing firms and recruiting firms do we know that have been around since the early 2000s and even before that? And you've got, I mean, I, I don't know that I've talked to one staffing or recruiting firm in the last three years that has anything less than like 200,000 records in their ATS. You know what I mean? And and when was the last time those were all updated? Like, are there really only 10% of those that have been updated in the last five years? So so part of it is just evaluating what what is active and what can we count on, so to speak, for being an accurate profile. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. why people are so reliant upon LinkedIn, because LinkedIn mm -hmm. is a live database that updates itself right. for the most part. So yeah, you were just, I sort of interrupted you there as oh, you no. were in full flow about the elevating the candidate experience. Are there any other steps that need to be taken? Yeah. You know, when we think about overall adoption, sometimes it gets overlooked of, you know, I've, I know who I'm going after, right? I know who my candidates are. I know my tech stack. Uh, but it also takes the adoption internally to secure the buy-in and help to share with the rest of your staffing agency uh, what is the potential impact of this. You know, if you're creating more work or changing the workflow for someone, it you you want to kind of bring them along for the journey. Uh, so, as an example, with this, uh, you know, we work with an HR consulting firm. Right, so they place mid to senior level HR consultants, uh, and it tends to be a pretty high touch conversation. And so we've got a recruiter that's within that client and they have X amount of consultants out. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's very interesting. Just the anecdotes of the story. Uh, they have X amount of consultants out and everything is manual, right? Like, okay, I'm touching base with you as you are going out on interviews, as you are in your first week, you know, a few weeks in, a couple months in, touching base to see how the contract is going. And then, of course, as you're approaching the end of the contract, trying to get them opportunities so that you can redeploy them. Uh, now, this particular client invested in a marketing automation tool that automated all of those steps and now allows that recruiter to, quote, send, you know, with, with air quotes, like automated send uh, emails and texts to follow up with her consultants. And it's literally doubled the amount of consultants she can have out in the field and the internal qualm she was having. And I'll, I'll not say her name just for identity protection, but the internal qualm she was having was... I can make more money, I can place more people, but the only way to do that before automation is by spending less time with my family because I physically need to send more emails, physically need to source more candidates, physically need to send more follow-ups. But now she can create efficiencies. And the, the interesting thing to me, just as a side note on this, is the retention this can bring your team. Like that individual recruiter, can you imagine if she ever was recruited by another staffing firm that did not have automation? Like she would literally be taking a downgrade in pay because she'd have to go back to manual processes and she couldn't keep as many people out on, on contract. And so not only does it help her, it helps the revenue potential of the company, but it helps the candidates too, right? The consultants, because now they, they have the ability to hear from her more frequently and they don't get lost in the cracks. Um, so anyway, adoption is, is a really big, important key. 
That's amazing. And that's a hell of a value proposition that you just yeah. framed there. Spend, you know, twice as much time with your family, but make twice as many placements with this automation. What tool was that that you were just mentioning? They use Herefish and Bullhorn. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, Herefish is now by Bullhorn, but uh, yeah, that that's the tool they use. And it's, and, and I've, I've physically talked to her multiple times about this and she's just like, yeah, it's great. Like I, I actually have twice the amount of recruiters or excuse me, consultants out in the field. And I sent 1600 texts last month. Like if you physically were to break down the math of that, it's not even possible. Like if they were all manual, you know, and these are not just to her current consultants. These are to people she's in contact with, people that are like interviewing. It's, it's a matter of automating the the pieces that a recruiter would ideally want to do, but doesn't have enough time for, or can't scale without it. Yeah. And that here fish is basically candidate engagement and re-engagement. And is that similar to sense? Cause I'm hearing a lot about sense right now. Yeah. I would consider them direct competitors. Yeah. So um, here fish, uh, and hopefully I'm not quoting this right, but my understanding is that here fish was created by a couple of folks that stepped out of bullhorn and created it. And then it was reacquired by bullhorn. Uh, whereas Sense is independent, but they are a part of Bullhorn's marketplace and they offer a, a variety of functionality. Um, but as far as the tangibles of people in my database can have automated workflows sent to them, they do they do similar things. They are competitors. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, why would Bullhorn allow or integrate with a tool that competes directly with one of their own? You know, my, my philosophy on that, my theory on that may not be the same as theirs, but my assumption is they're truly trying to be a resource to the industry. And the best way you can be a resource is to provide a variety of options. And so Bullhorn has done a very nice job of building out their marketplace. And there are competitors represented in every category of that marketplace. Uh, and, and it just makes sense because it ultimately offers more options to staffing firms. But at the end of the day, it still ties back to Bullhorn. Um, and Bullhorn actually recently launched Bullhorn Ventures. Uh, and my understanding of that is rather than them acquiring companies independent, uh, like they've recently acquired Able and Cube19. Uh, and they, I'm sure, will continue to acquire great companies like that that are supporting the industry. Uh, but they're creating the opportunity to incubate and grow and nurture uh, SaaS companies and the like, you know, other technologies that can support. So, um, they're doing a very nice job of being strategic of providing value because Bullhorn in and of itself serves a need, um, but they're trying to surround themselves with other companies that are providing other needs. So Parka is a part of Bullhorn's marketplace, for example. There's a lot of great, a lot of great companies represented there. Fantastic. Um, well, hats off to Bullhorn. Congrats to yeah. you. Maybe we should be talking about a sponsorship of recruiting trailblazers. Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, Bullhorn, Bullhorn's doing all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and, and shameless plug for them, they've got coming up in June, their Bullhorn Engage Conference. It'll be in Boston. They also have, I believe, one in London and one in Sydney, uh, where they provide all kinds of information and content and the marketplace partners are represented there. Um, but to finish the thought on the candidate experience process and how to elevate that within your marketing automation strategy, um, I want to just recap the last couple of steps, which are around user experience or, uh, excuse me, user-driven experience. So getting out of your own head of what's working and what's not. Uh, you know, everybody talks about A-B testing when it comes to marketing, but it is important to use your actual users' experiences as your A-B tests. So going back to that NPS score email example, where we think about, uh, you know, when did they click one out of 10 and how did they interact? you kind of have to use the data that you're seeing to evaluate what's working and how you should pivot from there. It's not just, I don't know, like I, I heard about this workflow and we set it up. So it's probably working. Like you got to dive in and see, is it making the impact that you need? Are there ways to optimize it? The answer is almost always yes. There are going to be ways to optimize it. Um, and then the final step really is that, right? Like evaluating your results, determining an analysis of what's working and then continually optimizing because the industry is not slowing down. Um, there was actually a, a massive input uh, of investment in our tech space within the last year. Um, actually, just to quote Crunchbase, funding in the HR tech sector has more than doubled, uh, it, more at this point, that was as of even the fall, uh, had more than doubled since mid-July and total venture dollars in the HR tech sector were nearly at that point. $7.5 billion, which was more than 2019, so pre-pandemic, and 2020 combined. So Sense, for example, is one of those companies that received uh, 
investment, right? There's there's a ton, not all of them specifically touch staffing, but there's just this explosion. So you do need to continually evaluate what's working, what's not, what other opportunities are out there. Clearly a ton of opportunity for the people who are servicing the staffing industry. A lot like if I think back to the picks and shovels approach of, you know, yeah. the gold rush, they made more money selling picks and shovels than they did actually mining for gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to talk about the magic of what recruiters actually do. And I've always thought that, you know, any staffing firm, big or small, is only as good as the people who work there, the sources, recruiters, BDs, coordinators. Do you think there's any danger of automation and and AI um, taking some of the skill out of the profession and maybe potentially some of the people out of the profession as well? Yeah, no, this is this is a big question when we start talking about robotic process automation and AI and just, just all of the pieces. Right. And where where I land on this, uh, you know, just like when when cars came out, people who, you know, horses were now no longer as, as actively needed in day-to-day transportation, um, there's going to be shifts. It does create, for one, new opportunities uh, for people to shift in their career. But to me, if you're a recruiter and you're having this conversation and you're wondering like, oh my gosh, is my job going away when the robots come and start recruiting people? Uh, to me, it's not about that. It's actually about, you know, everybody falls into the staffing industry. At least that's what we say in the U.S. You know, it's a little bit different, I know, uh, in the U.K., but in the U.S. everybody says, all right, I, I fell into it and now I love it and it's just a part of my world. You probably didn't get into it so that you could send hundreds of texts every month, right? Like you didn't get into it so that you could follow up in this way. You, you got into it because you want to have those high touch conversations with candidates or if you're on the sales side to have a high touch conversation with a client. So to me, I believe this is actually going to create more opportunities to do the things that you want to do more. It's, it's not about taking away the entire job. It's about automating the pieces that you don't need to do. You know, kind of like anecdotally, if someone's ever told you, if you hate cleaning, if you hate doing your own taxes, if you hate fill in the blank, if there's a service you can buy, you know, equip equip that company, you're giving them money, they're doing what they want to do, and it frees up your time to do something else. It's the same premise. Uh, I believe AI will free up more time to do higher touch activities that are actually more rewarding to people in this industry. Yeah. It sounds to me that one of the major challenges that we're going to be facing is both adoption and training around these new strategies. I mean, lots of great tools, but you've got to know how to wield those tools effectively and to do some of the data analysis that you were just talking about as well, which is not traditionally what recruiters are particularly good at. We're good at picking up the phone and building relationships with candidates and then trying to place them. Um, So that's an interesting challenge facing us. Right. And it may not be the recruiters who need to be the ones to solve that. Typically, staffing firms are hiring uh, leaders. So, for example, it might be a vice president of talent technology or a vice president of candidate experience. And those are the folks that came up through recruiting or through sales and and understand the operational side of the business, uh, have a dotted line through to IT and to marketing. And they're the ones saying, okay, how do we create our Disney experience? You know, we've got the infrastructure. What's working? How do we set ourselves apart? Right. A um, couple more quick questions before we wrap up. I know you're more focused on helping sort of $50 million plus staffing firms and agencies, but do you think there's plenty of opportunities for smaller firms and independent recruiters to embrace some of these strategies and, and automation tools as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I don't see... Uh, companies like Sense or Hearfish or, you know, fill in the blank, right? Like Staffing Engine and Pager. And there's so many great companies out there. Uh, I don't see it being a massive barrier, even if you are a few person recruiting firm starting to look at automation pieces. Um, And I think just like with anything, right, there are ways to approach this in a more uh, bite-sized staged method. So, even if you're not hiring a consulting, you know, a performance marketing firm like Parker to walk you through the whole process of, uh, you know, the ideal candidate profiles and what are they experiencing, you can still start going through those exercises, right? Like there are still best practices to be had. Um, what I would say is the lowest hanging fruit is is marketing automation right now. You know, and, and a lot of companies we're talking to are investing in it currently. So even though the companies I tend to be having these conversations with are uh, in in that realm that you talked about, you know, whether it's fifty to five hundred million and above, because they're in the thick of it, 
companies that are, you know, on the search side, it's, it's a different revenue model, right? Whether you're talking about search or staffing. Um, so if you're a search firm and you're under a million because you've got a few people running desks or you are 10 million and you're super healthy because that is that is a really good size search firm. Or if you're a staffing firm and you're just getting started and you're 10 million to 20 million, there are still opportunities to start thinking about efficiencies to create. And to me, one of the easiest ROI calculations is what does it cost me to hire a recruiter? And what would it cost me to implement an automation that can help me nurture my database? It basically extend and create the situation like we talked about. Like how do I extend the ability of every desk right now? So I think there's opportunities for companies of all sizes. And even the couple billion dollar companies I've chatted with, they're still exploring the best way to do this. I, I don't I don't know that there's many companies out there that would say we've perfected it. We're moving on to the next big thing. Like it everybody's asking the same kind of questions right now. And I imagine this is just the tip of the iceberg because, mm-hmm. you know, this this whole sort of like this automation and technology effort is really just getting going right now. I mean, what do you think, final question, what do you think recruiters have got to look forward to beyond 2022? Mm. (laughs) I would say it comes back to hopefully being able to do more of what you love and less of what you have to do, right? Like having more high touch conversations because in theory, uh, recruiters, what you will find is that your company will make investments in order to stay on par or hopefully ahead of the competition, the other staffing firms out there. So hopefully you will get better support, uh, just just more infrastructure to do what you love doing. You know, you'll have a better brand representing you. You'll get a little bit more space to create a personal brand. And that's something that you have to take your own personal charge on right now. Uh, And hopefully you get some automation behind what you're doing to expand your opportunities. And, and make more money and the company should make more money and the candidates and clients should all have better experiences. So it's, it's an evolution for everyone involved right now. And I don't think you can fully automate relationship development. So we get mm-hmm. to do more of the fun stuff, like building That's those it. relationships and a lot less of the boring stuff. That's it. That's it. That's, That's my message. prediction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you, Kelly, for coming on Recruiting Trailblazers and sharing so much of your wisdom and knowledge. I really appreciate it. And obviously, people can find you on LinkedIn, Kelly Shutrop at um, Parker Digital Marketing Agency. And um, we're going to keep in touch and speak again very soon. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks so much, Marcus. Okay, take care. Cheers. Cheers.